As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, where we help leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life helping reframe success in leadership. I have the distinct pleasure today of sitting across from a good friend, John Damasco, who is the managing member at Suits That Rock. And we are going to educate you today on the profound impact that you can have on the organizations around you by creating incredible initiatives such as Suits That Rock. John, (laughs) thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for asking me. I've always had a face for radio, and now I guess I have a face for podcasts. There we go. This is the perfect (laughs) medium for me. That's awesome. So, John, my wife and I have had the pleasure of participating in Suits That Rock now for several years. And Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And it really pulls to the impact that a group of smart people can get in a room and come up with fascinating ideas and raise, I think this year was the 11th year? The 11th year. And has raised almost $900,000. Actually, it's raised a little over $900,000. So next year, we'll eclipse the million-dollar mark. And this money goes to the Carnegie in Covington. It does, but specifically to their arts education program for young children. And arts education is one of the things that gets cut out of curricula pretty Mm -hmm. early in the game and the budget game. And so it replaces that for the kids who don't get that at school. Hmm. And honestly, when you look on stage and see the success of the people that are playing music who had an arts background, obviously, because they're performing, it's not a coincidence that they've been successful and that they have an arts background. Mm -hmm. And it's in a way paying forward that, hoping that the kids that get this arts education, it will be the same boost the way they think and to the way they approach life as it was to all of us. Well, let's talk a little bit about how this came about, how the idea came about 11 plus years ago. It was somewhat of an evolutionary process. The people who were thinking about it had the experience of getting back into music, or maybe some of them hadn't even gotten out of it, had kept it as a hobby, and seen the looks on people's faces when the chairman of their board or the president of their company is standing on stage playing rock music. My band from the 60s had done a couple of reunion gigs, and we did one with Greg Shoemate of the Drysdales, who had pretty much kept that band going on since probably the 80s when he did it. And we played a gig together and saw the looks on people's faces. Kevin Canifax had guest vocaled in a few situations, seen the same thing. And Kevin and I were having lunch one day and talking about this. And we said, wouldn't it be fun to do an hour within somebody's fundraiser and just have five or six people perform and get that shock value on the faces of the people in the crowd. It would be something different, different kind of fundraiser. But we didn't picture it being its own fundraiser. Mm. So the, the trick was finding a charity that wanted to do this. And 
that we, I talked to lots of people about it. Everybody thought it was a great idea, and then there were a lot of unreturned phone calls until we got to the Carnegie. It took probably six or seven months to have that conversation with the Carnegie, and they said, oh, we have to do this at the Carnegie. Let's talk about this. And I thought, well, yeah, 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 I've heard that before, and I don't get my phone calls returned. And the next day, the executive director called me and said, let's start planning this. That was late 2007. Mm -hmm. And of course, by the time we found the Carnegie, 20 musicians had found us. So instead of five or six, there were 20 of us. And you can't do an hour with 20 musicians. So we ended up the first year doing a four-hour rock concert with no intermissions. It was kind of a shock to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a year-round initiative? Uh, Well, the planning is year-round, but it is strictly two Saturdays in June. In 2019, it will be June 22nd and June 29th. And it has evolved since that early going. First of all, we thought it was going to be a one-year thing, just an anomaly, a fun thing to do. We had absolutely no, well, it's hard to say no, but we had very little philanthropic interest We wanted to get these musicians together because once you've played music, I don't care how much fun you've had in the rest of your life, it's going to be hard to have that much fun again. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to get the people together and play music and have the side effect of having it be for charity. Mm -hmm. But the Carnegie really didn't care if we made any money. They just wanted to get our crowd to be Mm -hmm. exposed to the Carnegie. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, they didn't realize how rowdy our crowd was. And I think the first year we made ten or 11,000 bucks. But again, we thought this is a one-year thing. Mm-hmm. But then we started getting all these testimonial emails about what a, an amazing experience it was for the audience. And people asking us, well, what are you going to do next year? Next year? Mm-hmm. Is there a next year? Mm-hmm. We didn't know there was going to be a next year. Yeah. So it's evolved. And again, to take back what you just shared, Suits That Rock are business leaders throughout our community that are really into music, that either love to sing or love to play the bass or play the guitar or play the drums or play the trumpet and are performers. And many of these individuals are in bands. Some just have a personal passion for it. Right. Some have never been in a band. Never been, but love the idea and are very passionate about it. And they're up on stage. So to see the you know, VP of government affairs or a managing partner or a CEO or a head of sales up on stage literally producing one of the coolest rock concerts you could attend (laughs) is quite an experience. And for those who have experienced it, you're shaking your heads going, yeah, I love it every year. I can't wait till June 22nd and 29th. For others who haven't, you're probably going, I may never even have heard about this yet. And the goal of highlighting this today is really the one, it's a great initiative in our community. Two, it was a initiative started by a couple people having a conversation and an idea that has led to raising it by June 22nd, 29th, over a million dollars for a great organization to further education, arts education for students, kids throughout our community. So can you share a little bit about the, when you started picking up on, wow, this is something that we might be able to make $20,000 next year or may have, you know, with the idea when it went from, okay, we've had a great performance to, we could be doing this every year or has there ever been that thought? Well, I have to say that as much fun as we had playing music, 
I really thought that getting these people together for rehearsals and the preparation part of it would be so onerous that there would be little appetite to make it an every year thing. As much fun as it is, I mean, I'm a CPA by training, so I don't do anything unprepared. And, and as a result, there's rehearsals and there's a structure to it. There are spreadsheets. You have to be able to read spreadsheets to follow the structure. So I really didn't expect that that would be so quickly embraced by the musicians. And yet it was. We tried to minimize the rehearsals in the first year. By the end of the first year, we realized people were having as much fun at the rehearsals as they were at the shows. So we could have a few more rehearsals. And as a result, it became more of a focus. The journey was as important as the destination. And so that's when it became obvious that this could become more than what we really pictured it to be. But if you asked me, how did I envision Suits That Rock being what it is today? That's an easy answer. I had no idea. None of us did. It has evolved and we're in the process now of just trying to make sure that it continues and continues to thrive. We reverse engineer how we got here rather than having done it to begin with and followed a perfect plan. Mm -hmm. From a performance standpoint, how many songs is typical? I mean, you said a four-hour concert earlier. Well, we found out we were wearing out our crowd. Okay. Uh, so we now do a three-hour, <laughs> okay. and we still wear out our crowd. But we like to get enough work for everybody that needs work. And we have 45 people this year in 2018. Mm -hmm. So we need that three hours to get people on stage often enough. But it's, I've forgotten the question, sorry. So the question around the amount of music and performance, because oh, it goes um, from one song to the next and 45 people yes. ducking in and off stage. And and it didn't start out that way. It's 40 songs about for three hours. And it started out with little discrete groups. All the discretion and rock music are seldom said in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. But there would be a group that played an hour set and then people would kind of cycle in and out of that. Well, after the first year, I got a lot of emails from these musicians saying, hey, I'd love to play bass to this person drumming. And it became obvious that people wanted to interrelate, cross-pollinate. Yeah. And so that's how the second year it started being constantly different casts. Uh, there are no two songs unless it's a medley where the entirely same cast is on stage hmm. in a row there's always somebody moving in and moving out, but it's never everybody moving off and everybody moving mm -hmm. else moving back on. Mm -hmm. John, one of the things that's really fascinating for us, looking at the work we do in human capital management and with the Talent Magnet Institute umbrella and Centennial building great teams and putting the right people together, you put incredible talent on stage, right? And individuals who you can feel the energy and the passion that they have for the love of what they're doing. And, and that's both from a music perspective as well as the overall impact they're having on the community. So talk about employee engagement, team member engagement. It's just an incredible experience. Well, it is. And music is somewhat a metaphor for business. One of our uh, executive committees always said if they ever write a book about rock music, it'll be, I learned everything I need to know about business in a rock band. It is a group of people accomplishing a result together. 
and bringing all their individual skills together, which are better than any one of the individual's skills by themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the fun part. The result of music and of Suits That Rock for me is starting with a clean piece of paper in the beginning of the year, no theme, no songs, knowing the skills of the people that we have involved and having a few guests that we're not totally sure of their skills yet Mm -hmm. and trying to put together a show where we're making everything work in a way that enables them to do their best performance, to take their strengths and take it to the limit of what they can do with them. That's the goal. And that's the goal in any leadership situation. Mm -hmm. No leader does it by him or herself. Every leader's job is getting the obstacles to all of the team doing their best out of the way, eliminating those and making it conducive to everybody being able to perform at their maximum level. Mm -hmm. That's outstanding. And you can feel it both in an organization and in incredible great things that happen in our community. Have you looked at and has the organization been able to spend time with any of the kids that have been impacted by the work that you're doing in arts and education? Not to a great extent. We've had actually a couple of kids involved in the shows before just as like an introduction, but not hands-on, not. And after 11 years, we feel like we have some, probably have some stories that Mm -hmm. we could learn about some of these kids that have benefited from the money that's been raised. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's part of the further evolution of this concept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think now, 11 years ago or 10 years ago, that fifth grader that was required to take up a musical instrument or that seventh grader is probably into college now. Right. And might have found his love for music because of the education. I love the fact that you point out that so many of these leaders, they've had a love for music their whole life, right? That they grew up in marching band, they grew up in jazz ensemble, they grew up in concert band at school, and then found a love for, or had a friend teaching them piano, or a relative who played the guitar that they learned from, that, you know, that curiosity, that education that music has on all of us, and helping us get creative problem solving and thinking outside the box, and project management skills and learning and really intently learning, helping our learning abilities. It changes the way you think. Yeah. Somebody did a study years ago, probably 30 years ago now, where the control group had had absolutely no musical training. And the other group had had some, no virtuosos, but maybe a year of piano lessons or a year of some sort of musical training. And then they wired up to read their brainwaves when music was played. And in the control group, when music was played, the portion of the brain that deals with the auditory function lit up. No surprise there. In the other group that it had just some musical training, not only the auditory function part of the brain lit up, but the part that deals with language. So you even hear music differently if you've just had a little bit of training. And there are synapses, I guarantee you, that are working in a brain of a person with an arts background that have not been awakened in someone who hasn't. Yeah, that's wonderful. John, you shared in your successful career, you sold your practice 20 plus years ago. Right. And you found 
that being on boards, serving on boards, challenging boards. I have had the opportunity to serve on a board with you at the Metropolitan Club. Right. And every board meeting, this is one of the reasons why I love serving on boards, is every board meeting you walk away learning something from someone. And many times it's coming from a leader like you who thinks differently and has other talents and skills that I don't have that you're able to build in. Have you found that the board position, how have you found that so engaging? Because I know you've served on many boards over the years. The process of watching more than one person come up with a solution to a problem is fascinating to me. I almost have to confess to an addiction to it. I walk into meetings that I'm in charge of with a solution in my head in case nobody responds and everybody sits there and drinks coffee and gives me the deer in the headlights look. And I've never had to use that idea because everybody together comes up with a better solution than I had to begin with. And I would say that that would probably be true of everybody if everybody walked into the room with a solution, that we never walk out of the room with any one person's solution. And it's just fascinating for me to watch it. And often the benefit is not that somebody comes up with an ingenious idea. Often the thing that spurs the most creativity is somebody coming up with the craziest idea you could ever come up with, but it spurs a brilliant idea in somebody else. Well, maybe that won't work, but hey, this could, and it's not as crazy. And that whole process is fascinating to me. Everybody is different. Everybody has a different superpower. And they bring those superpowers to the meetings. And it's just fun to see what kind of stew of ideas is generated by the combination. In our episode 17 with Steve Schiffman, we had a discussion about why he encourages his employees to serve on boards. And we really got to, and I remember hearing him talk about this several years ago, where many times when you serve on boards, you're going to serve on a committee or serve in a role of something you don't do in your corporate life, right? And you're going to be challenged by something that I've never had a look at it that way, right? right? And the opportunity for intellectual growth professional growth and in many cases, personal growth by being further educated about what's going on in the community or the business that you're serving on the board of can really open up minds and and you're bringing some tremendous assets and value to the conversation, which is why you were asked to serve on that board. But for someone who's in their career space of moving into semi-retirement. Some would say that you're probably busier now than you were before. Oh, I am. (laughs) If if retirement is a function of how many people pay you for what you do, I'm retired. But if it's a function of how busy my calendar is, I'm far from retirement. Yeah. 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 And did you know when you went into that, that, you know what, when I take this step, I'm going to start serving on boards? Or was that a process that you... I have to say... As CPA-ish as I am, my life has not followed a plan. I've reverse engineered nearly everything I've ever done. And when I sold my accounting practice, I just knew that wasn't my future. So I kind of jumped off the cliff and hoped that I would figure out how to fly on the Mm -hmm. way down. And opportunities presented themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to be on this board and asked to be on that board. And it would probably be a piece of advice I would make for anybody that wants to get on a board, don't get on one that feels like drudgery from the beginning. 
get on something that interests you so that you can have a passion for it. Because if you're not interested in it, phoning in your contribution to a board is not a way to have more opportunities present themselves. Mm -hmm. If you're passionate about it, throw yourself into it. I always tell people, if you join a board, act like you're getting six figures to be there and approach it that way. You'll have more fun. The more engaged you are, you'll get more out of it. You'll learn more and probably get more opportunities on other boards to do the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Have most of your boards been in the greater Cincinnati area or have you done national board work? Most of my boards have been. I did do six years on the PBS Board of Trustees in Washington, and I'm currently on the PBS Foundation Board. And I've been on that for a little over six years. And that's always interesting, too, because you walk into a room of people with completely different backgrounds. They don't even live in the city that you live in. A lot of the local boards, you have a tendency to see some of the usual suspects in the boardrooms. Walk into a boardroom in Washington, you don't know anybody in the room. Hmm. And they have an experience set that is so different that you learn new things. Mm -hmm. And I always have a tendency to believe that you learn as much outside the boardroom as you do inside the boardroom. So I'm, I'm the one that after dinner tries to attract everybody into the bar before everybody goes to bed, yeah. just to try to find out more about some of these people. It helps you in the thinking process. And it sounds like monkey business, but it's not. That's where you get a lot of the best work done because you know that person you're sitting across the table from. And when you're dealing with a problem later on, you have more perspective on where they're coming from and it helps your thought process. Mm -hmm. As it relates to vision and legacy, did you ever anticipate that something like Suits at Rock is going to be quite as big of a legacy as it will be in your life and in the community and your wife's life and what you all have done for that organization? Never had a clue. And again, reverse engineering that, it will be, I think, other than whatever involvement I've had in my children's growth and my family's, it will be my biggest legacy. And I'm not a person that feels particularly compelled to have a legacy. So I'm kind of a, an accidental legacy creator. Uh, but again, I, I didn't do it all by myself. Right. We have an executive committee with Suits That Rock, and we've all done it as a group. But the reason that I love it so much is it's a combination of my strengths. It involves music, and I'm not the best bass player in the world, but I'm okay. I've got a good ear. I'm a good manager, I think. I've dealt with volunteers a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm organized. Plus, and here's the most important strength, I have the time. Mm -hmm. So I can spend that time on what I do there. So I probably spend four or 500 hours a year organizing Suits at Rock. And very few of those minutes in those hours feel like work. Mm -hmm. The rest is just, you're always happy if you're doing something you feel like you're good at. Mm -hmm. And this is a position that didn't even exist that has just kind of invented itself. Mm -hmm. And I fell into it. Yeah. I would also add that you have an incredible strength at getting the right people on the team. Oh, right. Yes. I mean, your executive committee and all of the suits that perform each and every year. One, thank you to those listening for all that you do. 
in our community and everything you do in your day job and in your community work. And two, John, you've put an incredible team together that you can feel the chemistry of the team, which is a big part of building the chemistry and the competency and the culture of the team, in our view, and getting people who have great character that want to make a tremendous impact is felt from those who participate and certainly felt by the children that are impacted by the work. Well, I love to hear that, but that really translates to any leadership position is if you have a group of people that have mutual respect and who are rowing in the right direction and in the same direction with different skills, it's magic. It's where the magic happens is when you get more than one person addressing a problem. And by the end of a Suits That Rock year, everybody on that team loves each other mm-hmm. in, in the most wholesome sense of the word. We would take a bullet for each other. It is truly a family. And we've had some that have had some pretty serious issues. And we had a couple of deaths leading into this year. And it feels like a family member. Mm. And it's another one of those unintended and unexpected consequences of this whole phenomenon that suits that rock. We stand back and look at it and think, how'd this happen? (laughs) We're glad it did. But how did it happen? That's wonderful. Well, to those listening, if you have not followed Suits That Rock, please look that up on Facebook, Suits That Rock, or just Google Suits That Rock, Covington, Kentucky, or and I'm certain it's going to come up. Yes. If you go to, I think if you Google Suits That Rock, you'll get sent to the Facebook page. Okay. Or you can go to Facebook and just put Suits That Rock in. But I should give a shout out to the rest of my executive committee, which is Kevin Canifax, Paul Bromwell, and Greg Shoemate. And all three of those people bring to that group a different superpower. And I don't know how I would do what I do without them doing what they do. Mm. It's, again, the combination of different skills and different people that make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank them. Thank everyone who participates. I certainly value every conversation I have with you. (laughs) And it strikes my love for music. My wife and I have a tremendous love for music. Grew up in concert band and went all the way through and played trumpet and French horn. Really? Um, do you still do this? I, it has been Mike. quite a while. I do not play trumpet as you well as some of the lip. people in the, band, but, in the band. But thank you so much for joining us on the Talent Magnet thank Institute you for podcast. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. By now, you've probably heard of servant leadership. But did you know it's been proven to improve company culture, customer service, and reduce turnover on teams? Find out if your actions pass the servant leadership test at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash SL. That's talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash SL. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. 
The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.